0: Okay, well it is great to be back and uh, we had a nice time in Anglesey. uh, My father-in-law had booked a house that he wanted us to come and join him in as a family so that was great, it was a free holiday for us and we had a great time. And I had a very middle class injury when I was on holiday. I uh, burned my arm on the pipe of the hot tub. So can can you please feel the pain for me? It was uh, a very middle-class injury, so forgive me for that. But we had a great time. It was about three days of rain and three days of sunshine. And the great thing about Anglesey, it just seems to have a microclimate, so when it's sunny, it's really sunny and warm. We got on the beach, and we, had, we built the best sandcastle on the whole beach. At least I thought so. But um, it was the best one. We weren't competing, we just enjoyed it. Okay, a bit of orphan spirit coming through then. Let's, let's pray. Father, I just thank you for... The, the joy of spending time in your presence and the joy of being in your word and Father I pray that we would open our hearts to you this morning Father even if um, this package makes mistakes Lord I ask that your glory would flow in Jesus name Amen Before we turn to the word I just want to just fill, share with you just a few things about my, my trip to India, it was an unexpected trip the main reason I, I went to, to India was to go to Kevin Sam's wedding, so Annie and Sam are currently in India at the moment, and their son was getting married in, um, in a place not far from Cochin, uh, in Kerala, on the south coast, well, it's sort of the, down on the south, not on the south coast. It's a beautiful part of the world. In fact, the Keralans call their state God's own country. Can you believe that? <laughs> so you've got that, and you've got Yorkshire, so praise God. Different climates, but they're both beautiful. So it was like we're going from one God's own country to another. And it was a wonderful um, time at the wedding and just a great time with the Sam family and their extended family and all their friends. I think there was probably about seven, 800 people there. It was a big wedding. And uh, it was interesting getting some feedback because there were so many different kinds of people there because Kevin is a very friendly chap and connects lots of different kinds of people. So he had obviously the the sort of... Family people there, part of the family are Catholics. Some of them Pentecostals, and then they had uh, friends who were Hindu and Muslim, and then they had uh, friends who were atheists and who worked with Kevin in different ways and have really good relationship with him. And uh, it's interesting. W- at first, when I met some of these people the day before the wedding at the party, there was this sense of, "Oh, so you're taking the service, are you?" And there was sort of they knew what Pentecostal weddings were like in Kerala. And basically, what I, what, I, what I found out from what they described is it was an opportunity for at least 15 pastors to share something at this wedding, uh, at the Pentecostal wedding. So they'd go on for like four or five hours, you know, these weddings. So I was, Kevin asked me to take the whole thing, and um, it was somewhat different to that. Uh, his uncle spoke for 15 minutes, a really godly guy. I spoke for about 10 minutes, and I orchestrated the service and led the service, and did the vows, and we just had a great time, just a great time of joy, there was nothing religious about it, and uh, more than anything else, there was a real sense of the presence of God, in the worship they did, so you had, you know, songs like Oceans being sung, when all these people in there had never experienced that before, by a really great band, I wanted to bring them over from India, they were just superb. And it was just a a wonderful time at that wedding. So that was the main reason I went. But either side of that, there were two weekends. And the first weekend, I was with Grace Gospel Church, which is a a large church in Bangalore. It's about 2,000 people. And uh, they've just planted another church. Uh, The the, the, the son of the pastor has planted another church with his brother into a different part of the town, uh, of the city. This is a city of 13 million people. So this church is, 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 is quite a small church by Indian standards. It's only about 150, 200 people. And I was um, really blessed to, to go there and spend some time with them as well. In fact, that was the highlight of my ministry part. The, the wedding was cool, but in terms of ministry, all the ministry, that was the highlight. Because I got to see my friend Jabez Paul. Some of you know Jabez. Instead of just uh, doing all he was doing to serve in his father's ministry and serve the church there to see him stand in the office he has as a pastor and minister to people was just a beautiful thing for me to see Uh, he is getting married he's told me he's definitely getting married next year um, because I said if you don't get married we're going to fall out because his his fiance is just wonderful and she stands alongside him in what they're doing and his brother as well so uh, they're going to get married soon. But it's just wonderful to see what God's doing in that community and, and the people there uh, whose lives are being changed. I met one uh, young uh, lady. She was 19 years old. Her mother looked about as young as she, so I thought they were sisters at first. And um, <clears throat> just hearing their story, uh, because of the, the boom in the Indian economy, which is really booming, it's leaving a lot of people behind financially. Prices are going up, but wages are not going up. It sounds similar, doesn't it? But it's, it's kind of exacerbated there. And what you find is people, because of the consumer spirit, want more and more, but they can't afford it. So this particular family, their father got into real debt, and actually about four weeks before I arrived, he jumped off a five-story building and committed suicide and left the mother and their daughter with, with nothing. I only found this out uh, after it was the, the girl's birthday. She was 19, so they had a cake in the church, a bit like we do. And they celebrated with her. And I just felt from God to give her some money. I gave her some money. And, um, and, and just she started crying, and this story came out. And, um, <clears throat> and just to see what happened, they were Hindus. And as a result of what's happened with their, with their dad, they came to know Jesus. And, sh- and the girl was baptized two weeks before I got here. And you can see, even though they've been through such a tragedy, the complete transformation when they've come from darkness to light, when they've come into a relationship with Jesus, uh, and actually their <coughs> prospects financially are getting better, even though they've been through such a hard time. And it's just great to see. What one blessing for me this time, being with in Bangalore, was instead of just going from meeting to meeting, preaching to thousands of people, which I know some... People love, and I, I like it as well. It was great to get time with people uh, and just hear their stories and hearing what God was doing. And, and, and we, we, got, we got time with, with, with a lot of people. And I re- that church really had impact on me. The presence of God there was so powerful. And people were so devout and so desiring to worship and so desiring to hear the word. And, you know, I know, you know for me, sometimes I can go on a bit in preaching to 40, 50 minutes but they were just drawing on me, and, I, I, and, and, and they were asking questions, and we just, uh, and, and to be honest, because it was so hot as well, after about 40, 50 minutes, I sat down, and then people were just asking questions, and I sat down, I felt a bit like a rabbi, you know, it was great. And they were asking questions and making points, because a lot of them speak English in that part of India. So it was a wonderful, opportun- wonderful time. And then the next day, I spent some time with Joshua Pillai, if you remember Joshua and his church, El Shaddai Church, again in Bangalore. And he's doing really well in his health. He's got a complete bill of health from the doctors, and he's, he's excited for his next stage of ministry, which is an amazing miracle. This was a guy who had fourth stage pancreatic cancer, was not given much time to live, and he is well, healthy and wealthy in God, and uh, doing amazing things. So if God can do that for Joshua, He can do an amazing miracle for Val. Do you believe that? So, we're going to see that. The next day, I went to um, a ministry called KSM uh, and Hope Springs, which is again based in Bangalore. And the contact there was a young man in the church in Coventry. He did an MBA in Coventry, a Masters of Business. And he had a call of God in his life. And he went back to work in his father's ministry, which is basically a missions organization where they go into different small towns and villages. And they plant churches, and alongside planting churches, they do things like medical camps, they do they teach people trades, they teach uh, things like sewing and weaving and, and, and welder, welding and plastering and things like that, uh, so that they bring prosperity to the village and train people in skills, and they also uh, preach the gospel. And it was just amazing to hear the testimonies of... Uh, of, of Kevin, my friend, but also his father, his father who's now uh, sort of late 70s but still got so much fire for God and seeing what they're doing across the, the uh, Kanataka, which is a, the state that I was based in, it was just a great time spending time with their uh, staff and speaking to them. It was a, a wonderful day. And then I went to the wedding. Then, I, then what happened is I, Saturday night I was due to fly back to Bangalore and then go to Mysore to be with uh, John Elan Do you remember John? John has preached amongst us a couple of times. And he was asking me to go to Mysore, which is a city about four hours from Bangalore, and minister a number of, He has a big church there, a number of services there. And I felt in my spirit, because um, I love John, he's a great guy, and I get on really well with him. But I just felt in my spirit that God was saying, I want you to just go back to that small church in Bangalore and be with those people again. And um, I said, well, you know, you sort of dismiss these things. You know, you thought, oh, well, you know, thank you, Lord. I'm not sure if that's you. So I'll I'll just carry on with the schedule I had. But I really felt God continue to speak to me about staying in Bangalore and and, and going there. So I I emailed John. I said, John, would you forgive me and release me? I'm not coming to Mysore this time. I would love to see you. Maybe we can have coffee in Bangalore before I go. But I'm not not coming. I just felt in my spirit to, to, to be there. Anyway, um, I got to the airport and I was sat in the lounge waiting for my flight and up on the board, my flight was delayed by four hours, uh, which meant that I would have missed the connection in the car early in the morning to get to Mysore anyway. So the flight was delayed, so I had just time just to enjoy myself, I had a masala dosa in the airport, some of you will know what that is, it's beautiful, and time just to, to rest and enjoy I was just reading some things and studying. And um, <clears throat> then I went to, then I, I rang Jabers, and I said, I just feel that, that God wants me back with you this weekend. And he was just laughing on the phone. He said, we've been praying, everybody's been praying, you just come back to us, don't go anywhere else. <laughs> so <clears throat> we got there and and, and just, it, what, it was an amazing time. I, I felt to share on the power of words and on prophetic decrees. And then we started to do that. And the whole place erupted. People were seeing open visions of Jesus. People were um, getting healed. People were getting set free. People were um, just uh, having vision of what they were going to do in life. And, 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 and just like, it just erupted. Um, and one of the leaders of the church, he came at the end, and, and he said to me, he said, he said publicly, he said, I, I really believe that this man has come in the anointing of the Holy Spirit, to lay a foundation in this church for our future. And um, he's come to lay a foundation here and he's come with an apostolic anointing. Now, having an, moving an apostolic anointing, a prophetic anointing, is not the same as being an apostle or a prophet. Okay, It's not the same thing. But the reason it hit me is because when I was on the plane coming to India and I was just really coming for a wedding to bless the Sam family and they were gracious enough to invite me to that, the Lord said to me, you're going in an apostolic anointing because you're being sent in that anointing. And then he said that, and it was like, whoa, God was doing something. And uh, it was just a, an awesome time. And just hearing testimony, uh, since I've got back, of you know, one particular young man who was looking to get a, a big promotion and a big company, and, and that promotion's come through since. And you know, God wants to do amazing things, not just in India, but here. And I know we're, we've been through a tough time as a church, and I know many of you personally are going through tough times, but, but God is bigger than all that. Yeah, right. and, um, and I really believe that we need to lift our eyes and focus back on the reason for our existence, which is Jesus and his kingdom and his gospel. And as we do that, all the things will fall into place. If we bite and devour one another... If we look to disagreements and make that our God, then we won't see God in the midst of us the way God wants to be in the midst of us. But if we forget all that stuff, can I also say, even our own selfish behavior, there are behavior standards of grace in the word of God that God wants us to follow. And and therefore, you know, the church... It is free for all, but it's not a free for all. That means everybody's welcome to come by grace, but we expect grace to touch you, to empower and change the way you think. So if you are selfish and self-centered, you become more selfless. If you're a thief, you stop thieving. If you're into sexual morality, you stop it, and you get into something that's much better. So all these things, and and it's a transformation, it's a change, and it takes place over time. Uh, We're not that desperate for people to stay whatever their behavior. We want people to encounter God and let them be transformed and changed in his presence. So I'm excited about what's going to happen amongst us. I'm excited about the future. There still is no other place I would rather be even though I really enjoyed India. Um, But I, I believe that God wants to do something great. The reason why we've had such opposition and the reason why we've got Such issue, not just for me in the last four years, but I think for George in the last 25 years, is because there's something significant that you may not see in the physical, but there's something significant about this place, about Keithley, about this church. Have you noticed in the last week, Keithley's hit the national headlines? (laughs) You may not agree for the reason, but it certainly hit the national headlines. Uh, And uh, it was basically the people saying, no, we don't want... A certain politician, we want a different politician. Well, you know what? Really, there's no politician that, that's really going to do it. It's only Jesus. And I really believe that we as a church need to, need to own our message again. Our message is not a message of judgment and condemnation. Our message is not a message of pointing the finger, whether that pointing the finger is at people out there or people in here. That's not, it's not our message. Our message is the reconciliation of men to God. Our message is God has made peace with us, and therefore let's make peace with Him. That's our message, and that's what we've got to stick to. And I just really sense in my own heart that because of all the changes and the, tr- and the sort of tumult that's happened in the church the last probably the last year or so, and, and, and different people coming in and different people going out, and it's, it's kind of been like a whirlwind. And I just in my own prayer, I'm saying, uh, it's going to be a time of peace. And then the Holy Spirit said to me, Son, you have, you have been called to be a man of peace. So not just to pray for a time of peace in the church, but be that peace. Yes. So we're going to enjoy great peace. Yes. Uh, that, that still doesn't mean that there will still be challenges. There will still be difficulties. But if instead of reacting to those things, whether it's me reacting or you reacting, but we can say, Father, in this moment, we're going to receive your peace because your peace will calm the storm and your peace is the plumb line. What are you saying in this situation? Is that really what the Holy Spirit is saying or do we need to go back to what the Holy Spirit has already said in the word and make sure it's confirmed there before we do anything else? So... Brothers and sisters, wherever your heart is today, wherever your mindset is today, I want you to know that God loves you, and God wants you to be at peace. And I, I believe that this is a safe place, and it will be continue to be a safe place for growth, for creativity. And you, we haven't seen anything yet. What I, I'm having dreams at the moment, and they must be coming from God, but dreams of this place overflowing with people. Um, not just this room, but, but rooms out here overflowing with people. And that's so contrary, isn't it, to what's happening right now. But I believe sometimes we've got to sometimes grow small to grow big. Look at Gideon, that's a great example, isn't it? And I really believe that God wants... What I found in that little church in India compared to the big one, you know, what I found was people who whose hearts were really, really for what was going on and you know what it, it spoke to me it spoke to me to say actually there's a resonance here why do i feel at home here because it's similar to the church back home there's people whose hearts are so for where we're going and if that's the case even if it comes down to a, a handful we will see what god wants to see for this church so it was a, a wonderful experience to travel all that way and find out it was very similar to where i was <laughs> isaiah 58 let's go there I may not get much time to do this this morning because I've already shared about the trip. I may continue tonight. But here here we go. Isaiah 58. I want to read from um, verse 3. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen? Why have we afflicted our souls and you take no notice? This is the religious cry. Sometimes as Christians, we uh, and I've found this with, with, with people all over the world who are uh, into prayer intercession, but not into intimacy with Jesus. The, the two have to be together. So prayer and intercession. If you're a prayer, if you're an interceder, it must come out of intimacy with Jesus. Not I'm a prayer, I'm an interceder, and I do it from an older brother syndrome. Do you know what I mean? The story of the prodigal son, the older brother, was the one that, I served you, Father, from a distance. I've got no relationship with you, but you owe me now. And that can be, all of us at times, with God, can't it? And this is what this verse is saying as well. It's saying, God, you owe us something. Look at what we've done. Look at the sacrifice we've made. I've been in that church 15 years. I've sat on the same seat faithfully. What's going on? You know, we can have all these kind of mentalities, can't we? Why haven't you come through for me, God? I've done this, I've done this, I've done this. You know, with the list of what we've done for God, we can never outdo what Jesus did for us, can we? (laughs) The amazing thing about his security, he never gives that list to us, does he? He just sort of, I don't know, he's got such grace, hasn't he? And it goes on, it says this, "Uh, In fact, in the day of your fast you find pleasure and exploit all your laborers. What does it mean? In the day of the religious activity, you find pleasure. God doesn't want us to find pleasure in being religious, in religious activity. Religious activity usually involves you thinking or me thinking I'm wonderful, and everybody else is not wonderful, and I need to point out to everybody else what's not wonderful about them, because that's what God wants me to do. Religious activity is if I do X, Y, and Z then God is going to approve of me and God is going to be pleased with me. Religious activity is I do this, that and the other and therefore God owes me something. And it's saying here that people sometimes get pleasure in that religious activity. God wants us to get pleasure in him, not in religious activity. And if we really find our pleasure in our relationship with God and if we really find our pleasure in His presence and in His Word and in the joy of His presence and the joy of being with Him, then our service is going to be so much more beautiful because it comes from that place of intimacy. It's not going to be, I feel obliged. It's not going to be, well, if I don't do it, nobody else will do it. Those sort of thoughts won't come in if we... First of all, encounter a God who loves us. Let him transform us by his love so that we can then love other people. And brothers and sisters, including me, we are all falling far short of that. But thank God for his grace. (laughs) Because the more we come back to saying, Father, in your presence, I just want to see from you, receive who you are, enjoy your presence. And everything I do, I want it to come out of that and God says, that is the kind of prayer I will answer. And you don't even necessarily have to fast 40 days for me to answer that prayer. Have you noticed in the book of Daniel, when he set his heart to fast and pray? He says, I set his heart to fast and pray, and he was fasting and praying for 21 days. At the end of 21 days, an angel came to him and spoke with him. And the first thing, one of the first things the angel said to him is, from the moment you prayed, an answer was sent. The moment you pray, your father hears you. You don't have to twist his arm. He's not an unjust judge. He's a father that loves you. Now, why don't we see the answers all the time immediately when we pray? I haven't got the answer to that. But I know he hears us the moment we pray. And I know sometimes there's, like in the place of Daniel, if you read the book of Daniel, there was spiritual warfare going on. There was things resisting the prayer being answered. But we can take authority over these things. But more than taking authority, we first of all have to take our place of sons and believe that when we speak and when we ask, he hears us because he's a father, that when we ask for a fish, he's not going to give us a stone. He's not going to, sorry, when we ask for bread, he's not going to give us a stone. When we ask for uh, a fish, he's not going to give us a serpent. That's what Jesus said, isn't it? He's a wonderful father. We don't have to manipulate him. We don't have to manipulate him. We don't have to play politics with him. And what you find is if we don't have this intimate relationship with our father, we end up getting into religion, trying to twist his arm, say, I've done all this for you and you've done nothing for me. You know, and you see this in church as well. You know, somebody a while ago said, you know, remember that day, remember that day when I helped you move house? Remember that day? And, And now you need to do what I'm telling you to do because they helped me move house. And I said, well, I'm not going to do that, because that's manipulation. If you didn't want to just help me move house out of the fact that you want to help me move house, that's fine. But, you know, don't try and manipulate me. God is not going to be manipulated. And I believe that we are not to be manipulated by people. There's, there's certain propensity in religious people that they need to be needed. So even the way that they may serve you and I, there's a sense of, I need to be needed. And that need, there's almost a pleasure in being needed. God doesn't want us to get our pleasure from being needed. He wants us to get our pleasure from being in his presence, from being a son of his, from being secure in who we are. Because at the end of the day, not really one of us is indispensable, are we? But with God, we are very important And, and, and don't feel that you owe people. You know, sometimes there's certain characters, there's certain um, personalities that can, can be in church life. And it's kind of like, well, you know, I really owe so much to that person because they did this and that and that. And they're the first to remind you of what they've done. <laughs> I've done this for you and I've done that for you. Don't, the only person who is your Lord is Jesus. And he's only your Lord because you've accepted him to be your Lord. Don't let anybody else lord it over you, okay? It's really important. So, let's read on. It says in verse 4, Indeed you fast for strife and debate. I fast longer than you. I'm more religious than you. I'm better than you. You're not as good as me. I, I know the book of Ecclesiastes inside and out. Indeed you've fast for strife and debate and to strike with the fist of wickedness you will not fast as you did this day to make your voice heard on high so there's the idea that I've got to do something to make my voice heard that's the whole world system isn't it I've got to do something to make my voice heard our voice is heard in the highest of heavens the moment we speak our father is listening isn't that amazing And as well as that, God wants it to be a reciprocal relationship. What does that mean? Not only the moment we speak, he's listening, but he wants the moment he speaks for us to be listening. He wants an intimate relationship. The Apostle John, who was the one that he described himself as the one that Jesus loved, It said at the Last Supper that he leant on Jesus' chest. He was close to Jesus, intimate like a brother. And when you lean on somebody's chest, you you can hear them really clearly when they speak to you, can't you? There's a real intimacy in that. And that place of intimacy is not just for John all those years ago, but it's for every single believer. Why don't you turn to somebody and say, I am the disciple that Jesus loves. You see, if you, if you believe that, it, it, it eliminates competition amongst the body. You don't have to prove yourself. You can just be yourself. It just eliminates competition. It means this. If God has given you something to bring on a Sunday morning, a prophecy or encouragement, that, that if God gives you something to bring and uh, you bring it and people don't respond to you, it's okay, because you've done what your father has asked you to do. Sometimes it hurts us in our emotions if people don't encourage us. But at the end of the day, you've done what God has told you to do. And if you come forward and somebody, you know, big, bad, and, and not very nice sometimes, like the pastor, says, hold it for a moment, it doesn't bother you because you're, you're, your father loves you, and you know your father loves you, and you're trying to do what he's told you to do. And God will deal with you, big pastor, okay? So, <clears throat> so it just means that we... In that that example, there's just a peace. We can be who we are. We can serve the way God wants us to serve. And we can be intimate with him. Listen to verse 5. Is this not the fasting I have chosen? Sorry, verse 6. Is not the fast I have chosen to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke. So God has not chose the relig- chosen a religious fast. He's chosen a fast or a lifestyle. Because prayer and fasting is a lifestyle. He's chosen a lifestyle of breaking bondages. The word religion in the Latin means to put people in bondage. Can I suggest to you, as well as this scripture, talking about being free from slavery... It's talking about being free from every kind of slavery. And religious oppression is the worst kind of slavery out there. And it's not just in other religions. It can be right here in charismatic church. We have to do it this way because that's the way we've always done it. We have to be true and loyal to the banner that's over us. We have to be true to to do this even though there's no results in what we're doing. We've got to be true in it. No, God wants us to be creative. He wants us to be open to the way he wants to do things, which is multifaceted. And also, have you noticed some of the relationships God will have with people in the Bible? He asks them their opinion. He says, well, what, what, what would you do? What do you think I should do? It's not that God doesn't know what to do, but he's trying to bring us into the conversation, not because we're so amazingly intelligent. We may have thought of something he's not thought of, but because he wants intimacy and he genuinely wants to know our opinion. I've got three kids, as you know, and I, I love to have not much well, I love to have time with Zoe, but you can't have much conversation with Zoe. I mean, she's just discovered a phrase that Joel taught her on holiday, which she's saying regularly all the time, and the phrase is simply dog poo. And that she's just saying it all the time. So if you hear it today, forgive me. But that's what she's saying, dog poo. Anyway, but with the other two, you can have more conversation. And I love having conversation with them. And even though (laughs) maybe I'm being a bit arrogant here, me even though on paper I may know more than they know about stuff, they constantly surprise me with some of the stuff they come out with. It's awesome to have conversation with kids. And just the way I feel that paternal joy in having those conversations, how much more your Father in heaven feels that about you and me. You know, wouldn't it be amazing in conversation to surprise God? You know, it's not extra biblical. Jesus was surprised at the centurion's faith. Wow. Just imagine, if you get to heaven, you've got... All these religious people who still get in because of the grace of God. And they're listing off all the stuff they've done. I fasted for 40 days, five times a year. I sat on a spike. I enjoyed radish for five years for you, God. And then God just says, oh, that's lovely. We just bless you, bless you. And then he comes to you and he says, oh, I love you because you surprise me. I'd rather have that, would you? <laughs> I'd rather have that. Just the joy of your father. Do you want to bring him joy? Religion doesn't bring him joy. Pointing the finger, as it goes on in this chapter, I'll finish in a minute. Pointing the finger, malicious talk, competing with one another, that doesn't bring joy to our Father. What brings joy to our Father is when we're real enough to realise that we will make mistakes. Somebody wrote me, well, actually somebody wrote a letter to me, but then somebody wrote an anonymous letter to Ian Russell. And one of the things they said in the letter is, Jeff thinks he's a prophet, but he's actually more of a fortune teller. And he gets it wrong a lot. (laughs) Ian's response to that was this. Who doesn't, son? (laughs) Ha ha ha! I love that, don't you? There was there was a big point. Oh, there was lots of points on this letter. I don't know who it's from. But my point is this: we can be free from all that stuff, go about our father's business, just be vulnerable one another, be at peace, brothers and sisters. I know I've made mistakes. I know every call I've made has not been right, and forgive me for those things. But I would say this: that my heart is to see something great established here. My heart is to see people not just attend on a Sunday, but really be skilled in the word of God, really know the God of the Bible intimately, let him transform them, let him heal them wherever they're hurting, and letting them be a a massive, massive joy to their father in heaven by being a great ambassador of Christ and bringing peace and reconciliation wherever they go. So Father, we just thank you. I'm going to finish there. Father, I just thank you for this great church, for these great people. I thank you, Father, for all the ways in which you speak through them and, and all the ways in which you uh, encourage me through them. Father, I pray for a great blessing on every household represented here. I pray great blessing on every marriage represented here. I pray great blessing on every child, every adult in this room. And Father, I pray, Lord, that we would see in the next few years Many, many people come into this place and not be made disciples of religion, but made disciples of Jesus. The same Lord Jesus, who one of the first things you said, Jesus, was that your Father has now become our Father. So Father, we thank you for that truth. And we want more intimacy with you. We want more time with you to get to know you so we can really represent you well to those around us and to each other as our brothers and sisters. In Jesus' name.